0: Hey guys, my name is Johnny Artavanis and this is Dial In. You're listening to a series on the book of Ecclesiastes and in this episode we find ourselves in chapter 9. This podcasting series is essentially the condensed version of my preaching notes as I've been preaching through this book in our Bible study on Thursday nights for our church in Los Angeles, California. This has been both a challenging and enriching study for me and I hope it has been for you as well if you've been following along. Solomon is presenting to us an honest assessment on life, not the fantasy of what life could be, but the unvarnished reality of the way that life actually is. I don't know of a book in scripture that could be more relevant for us today than that of ecclesiastes i'm particularly excited and thankful for the truth presented in this section of ecclesiastes 9 so i encourage you as we approach god's word to view it as such and dial in Okay, we are picking up in chapter nine as we will cover the themes of chapter eight in this chapter and in the remaining chapters of the book. In chapter seven, if you recall, we looked at the reality of death. This is a major theme throughout the book because Solomon is an old man and he's grappling with the reality that no matter how wealthy or powerful he becomes, he will eventually die. So Solomon, like you and I, has a date with death. But this appointment he has with the grim reaper, he explains, it's a mentor, if you will, a friend. To help us live our life in light of the end. Solomon says, Our death teaches us how. To live. Mourning is better than feasting because coffins preach the strongest sermons and they proclaim to you and to me our own mortality in the face of the disillusioned tendency to think that we will never die. Okay, so stay with me here because maybe you're thinking, what's wrong with Solomon? He's always talking about death. Well, yes, he is always talking about death, but in this section, he is going to lead us to a rational, and yet wonderful conclusion that you need to understand and to apply. In chapter 9, there are three sections I want to look at. This first section in verses 1 through 6 that details for us the certainties of life. The second section is in verses 11 through 13, which presents to us the uncertainties of life. And then in the third section, right in the middle in verses 7 through 10, Solomon details for us how to live wisely in between the Certainties and uncertainties of life. Okay, are you ready? Section one, the uncertainties of life. In verse two, Solomon said, it is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked and the good and for the clean and the unclean, the one who offers sacrifice and for the man who does not offer sacrifice. For the good man, so is the sinner. As the swearer, so is the one who is afraid to swear. Solomon is saying every single person dies. Death is undefeated. It bats 1,000%. Solomon already told us this in chapter 7, that we are all destined to die. But he continues here by saying in verse 3, that not only is death certain, It's evil. He says this is an evil in everything done under the sun, that there is one fate for everyone. Solomon teaches us death is evil. It wasn't meant to be this way. Solomon draws our attention to a biblical reality. God's intention when he created the universe and man in his image was not for them to die. He created them in his image, and as his image bears, they were made to live with him and for him and to to him for all eternity. But now sin and death cohabitate in this world. And because of that, death is our destiny. Chapter seven told us that the problem with the world is that man is sinful. And in chapter nine, he says that the reason for death is us. But this is also orchestrated by the hand of God. This is a helpful reminder from Solomon because we often fall into the seductive trap of thinking about death in the way that the world does as a beautiful transition from this life into another, or as a graduation to a better place, or as a resting in peace. But death, Solomon says, is the judgment of God forrest gump says death is just a part of living but solomon says death is a great evil this is an unsentimental reality checked a reminder that death is a curse for moral rebellion he continues in verse 4 by saying it is better to be a live dog than a dead lion death is so ugly that even the most neglected and rejected that are alive are superior to those who are the most prestigious and powerful who are now dead. My friend Harry explains this by saying, imagine a man named Steve who makes minimum wage selling iPhones in Best Buy. Well, I'm not sure if we still have those around, but you get the picture. Well, this Steve guy who lives paycheck to paycheck is better off than the Steve that invented the iPhone because Steve Jobs is dead. Steve at Best Buy has opportunity. And verse four says, there is still hope. He has decisions in front of him, the ability to grab a hold of today. But Steve Jobs can't do anything because Steve Jobs is dead. Verse four teaches us that under the sun, once you die, you are done. There is no more family, no more influence, no redos, no no mulligans. You leave everything here. You have this chance to live only while you're alive. Often we are so quick to view death through a Christian worldview that we fail to see the moral dimensions of it. Solomon says death is evil. If you've ever been at a funeral and you've heard someone say, oh, death, where is your sting? You can respond rightly by saying right here." in my gut. Death leaves a significant sting. It's not beautiful. It's evil and it's coming for us. Yes, ours is the victory in Christ, but death is tragic and painful and full of grief and sorrow. And Solomon says, first and foremost here, that it is certain it's coming for you. But secondly, here, there is an uncertainty and that is in regards to death's uncertain Timing. In verse 12, he says, For indeed a person does not know his time, like fish that are caught in a treacherous net and birds caught in a snare, so the sons of mankind are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Solomon is saying this. Listen here. Birds don't know when they are going to be caught in a trap, do they? No. Fish don't know when they are going to swim into a net. No. If they did, they wouldn't. In the same way, neither do you know when you are going to die people do not pursue cancer nor do they intentionally get t-boned in a car crash at a busy intersection death is certain but we tend to live like the only thing in our life that is certain is uncertain because we pretend we pick death's timing I listened to sports radio in the morning as I head to the gym and was recently listening to Colin Cowherd. If you're not a sports person, I forgive you, but I want you to listen to what was being discussed. Colin was commentating on the passing of Dwayne Haskins, a standout quarterback at Ohio State University who broke records as a sophomore and now was looking to continue his career on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Haskins had died the day before, not as an old man, but at the age of 24. The question is, how did he die? Well, he was hit by a dump truck and pronounced dead on the scene. The sports commentators were discussing the tragedy of a man who died so young, and indeed it is tragic, but the words they used were especially interesting to me in light of my study of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. The commentator said, quote, it's such a tragedy he died he had his whole life in front of him this is a normal thing to say when people die young so we say things like that they had their whole lives in front of them but Solomon says don't you understand young man young woman middle-aged mom busy dad you don't have your whole life in front of you you're not even promised tomorrow Kobe can beat the Celtics, but he can't anticipate his own death. This isn't my attempt at pithy sound bites. It's a punch in the gut from reality. We need to remember that the next meal we eat could be our last. So the question is, how do I live my life like it's fleeting? This is one of the greatest themes of the book. How would I live today if I knew I would die tomorrow? My life is on loan. I get that now. But what's the wisdom from the word of God in regards to how I live my fleeting, fragile and unpredictable life in the present? Well, the good news is that preparing to die means we finally know how to live. So in this third section, verses seven through 10, there's a life of wisdom And I particularly love the first word. Solomon says, go, then eat your bread and happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart for God has already approved your works. What does this mean? How are we to live in light of certain death and the uncertain timing of it? Verse seven, go, seize the day and what? Enjoy life. Have you ever thought about the fact that God has given you life to enjoy? Maybe your idea of God is that he is in heaven somewhere sitting in a camera control room and he's ready to tase anyone that enjoys life. But that is not the God of the Bible. The scripture instructs us to enjoy life and the first example of what that looks like in verse seven is by sharing meals with others. Solomon says, eat your bread and drink your wine, providing us with, once again, the imagery of a meal with others. The scripture just said that good food and good friends at the table is how we prepare for heaven and practically what it looks like to live wisely in the present. The question for you today is do you want to live wisely? Well, the scripture says dinner alone isn't the way. Dinner with friends at a table laughing. Good food, good friends, and good laughter is God's gift to you. Well, maybe you're saying, well, how could this be? I thought we were supposed to live our entire life peddled to the metal for the glory of God. Well, this is true. Yes, Christians are commanded to live carefully and wisely and to make the most of the time we have because the days are evil. It says in Ephesians 5, we're to steward our time wisely and to seek eternal rewards. And this is to propel us to live a life of urgency because our days are short. We may think then that what God intends for us is a life of mere determination and resolve and abstinence. And while this may be true to a degree, we must also see that failing to enjoy the gift of life falls short of how God has called us to live. You and I aren't just God's stewards, we are also God's children. And as children, we are both called to live wisely And joyfully, I want you to think with me when my dad gives me a basketball for Christmas, the longing of a father is not just to see his son obediently use the gift and dribble, dribble, shoot, shoot all day long, but also to what? to enjoy the gift, to dribble, to leap, to yell Kobe as you launch a fadeaway. God as father is the giver of the gift of life. And he desires for us not only to receive the gift, but to employ and enjoy the gift by living. When your mom gives you a new sweater for Christmas, she doesn't want you to just hold it up. She wants you to what? Try it on because gifts are given by loving parents for children to enjoy. Oh, if we only saw God this way, the way that Solomon is instructing us to think and to live by is by seeing all of life as a gift from God, and we are given the liberty to enjoy that gift. If you don't buy what Solomon is selling, I want you to listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 104. He says, He causes, that's God, He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man so that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine which makes a man's heart glad so that he may make his face glisten with oil and food which sustains man's heart did you catch that god orchestrates and ordains the sprouting of grass for the feeding of cattle why because he knows dudes love steak. He says to make the heart of man glad. This is profound and this is precious. Maybe you're wondering, how can we live in a world of brokenness and pain and enjoy life? Well, I'll get there, so hang with me. But first, let's look at verse 9. Solomon continues in verse 9 by saying, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your futile life, which he has given to you under the sun, all the days of your futility. For this is your reward in life and in your work, which you have labored under the sun. Solomon is saying that if you're married, one of the main elements in this life that God has given you to enjoy is the person that you will share your life with you're not just called to live with your wife in an understanding way you're not just called to put up with your wife you are given the gift of enjoying your wife and to the extent that you enjoy her so you will enjoy life seeking depth with your wife is not easy Solomon says it's labor but it's a worthy labor There are few things in life that are enjoyable that don't take work. The scripture says that your spouse, if you're married, is your reward, your portion. And when spouses don't get along, it not only grieves God, it grieves those in the marriage because the best part of my life outside my savior is my wife. Now verse 10, Solomon continues, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. Solomon is saying, go eat meals, enjoy your wife. And then in verse 10, live life to the max do life with all of your might live to the hilt as Jim Elliott once said there's a couple applications to this first of all he is saying you are going to die so if you're going to work 40 hours a week pour yourself into something and be stewards of your gifting and time this means that in a world that caters to lazy people the bible says do not ever be the one that has to be spurred to take initiative be an energy Worker, Colossians three seventeen is going to say the same thing. And whatever you do, whether that's in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Colossians three twenty three. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Matthew 25, Jesus talks about good stewards and the sensible steward that invests his life in a way that brings the master honor. And biblically speaking, you can't possibly steward the gift of life if you are a lazy person. But not only is Solomon saying that we need to work hard, he is saying something else. And I want you to listen here. Solomon is saying that we must live hard. The brevity and uncertainty of life in the future propels us to live sensibly as stewards in the present. We are to start living life as if we will one day no longer have it. This means that we savor life. For me, this means to go hike the John Muir Trail, take Katie to Norway, learn Spanish, go whale watching, heck, swim with whales, preach the gospel, plan and execute a block party, make neighborhoods fun again, go to the beach, learn to sail, make a new meal, make new friends, have my neighbors over for dinner, plant a garden, get a dog, convince other people to sell their cats. I'm kidding, but improve at guitar, improve at piano, adopt a kid, study hard, mend relationships, deepen relationships, serve in the church, disciple a young man. It means so on and so forth. Live hard. In N.D. Wilson's book, Death by Living, he chronicles his own experience on how we are to live life in light of the perspectives provided for us in Ecclesiastes. The subtitle of the book is Life is Meant to be Spent. And I don't know if you've ever thought this way if you're a Christian, death is certain the timing of it is uncertain and the way that the scripture teaches us how to live in the present is to live in a way that brings us joy because as we enjoy the gift of life we give glory to god maybe you've wondered before how can i possibly glorify god in the eating of a meal whether we eat or drink do all in the name of the father how can i glorify god by eating a meal do you know the answer The answer is by enjoying it, and by that joy that you receive in partaking of it, giving gratitude towards the giver of the gift. But maybe your question then is, how can we live this way? What liberates me to enjoy life in a world of such sin and evil? The answer is found in verse one. Solomon says, for I have taken all this to my heart, even to examine it at all, that the righteous people, wise people, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Solomon gives us the answer. Death is certain. It's timing uncertain. So we can enjoy life in the present because all of life is in the hand of God. God's providence gives the believer comfort, but it also gives the believer vigor solomon details for us that all of life is in the hand of god meaning that the good and the bad and the ugly are governed by a sovereign king of the universe who is also our father and when solomon says everything is in the hand of god he provides an expression not only of god's hands of power but also his hands of care and concern these are powerful yet caring hands. As Solomon is evaluating life under the sun, he testifies that every event is governed by and cared for by a God who rules and reigns. This is a truth you can anchor your life in. In a world of unrivaled pain, grief, joy, prosperity, and affliction, every event, circumstance, trial, and triumph is in the hand of God. And this trust in his providence enables you to live vigorously and vibrantly in the present. When bad news strikes, when fear arises, when wars abound, the believer's rest is in the certainty that God is in control. And because of this control, you and I can enjoy life. C.S. Lewis used to say that the first two words out of a Christian's mouth when they get to heaven is, of course. Because when we arrive there, things will make sense that don't make sense now. But in the meantime, we can trust that all of life is in the hand of God. Question for you, do you trust in the providence of God? The scripture says then that if you do, you are liberated to live wisely and to steward your time and go and enjoy the gift of life under the sun. Life indeed is a gift, so enjoy it by living to the hilt. Stay dialed in.